You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Sunday at Lord's, England will play their first Men's Cricket World Cup final for 27 years and their first live match on free-to-air television since 2005. Speaking after the thrashing of Australia at Edgbaston, Owen Morgan admitted the prospect of playing in a World Cup final seemed laughable following their abject performance four years ago. Now they're just one victory away from a first World Cup title. Standing in their way are Kane Williamson's dogged New Zealand side, the beaten finalists four years ago in Melbourne, who broke Indian hearts in the semi-finals. Like England, the Kiwis have never lifted the trophy. Something has got to give on Sunday. Welcome to the Wisden Cricket Daily Podcast World Cup final preview in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed for memories since 1979. I'm your host, Joe Harmon. Uh, later in the show, we'll be hearing from Kiwi reporter Andrew Alderson, who tells me World Cup fever is gripping New Zealand. But first, joining me on this sunny afternoon at the Oval is Daniel Norcross of Test Match Special Fame. Hello, Dan. Hello, Joe. It's lovely to be back. And for the first time on the show, I'm delighted to be joined by the Independence Chief Sports Writer and new dad, Jonathan Liu. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, how's it been juggling a World Cup and a, and a new daughter? Um, it, it's weird. I've, I've actually covered very little of the World Cup but I've seen a huge amount because when she's um, baby Astrid is kind of pinned to your to your to your knees you know and you're sitting on the sofa and you can't move the only thing to do really is watch um, eight hours of cricket <laughs> so I've seen that that Pepe's advert probably about 200 times now and now they've got a bit of free extra advertising as well so it's, oh, all, yeah. it's all paying off for Pepe's if you want to send some through to uh, to Stockwell by all <laughs> means anyone from Pepe's listening I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they're all tuning in um, so yesterday was kind of extraordinary. England mm. produced the the perfect performance, pretty much when when they needed to. I'm still kind of coming down from <laughs> it a bit, really. Uh, that that what well, it was. It was the perfect it performance. Was, Everything they tried pretty much came off. Didn't it, it was it was absolutely extraordinary. They 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 found the corporeal form of Australian cricket and slaughtered it, and then they took out the meat from the bones and minced it, and then stuck it in a, a very English pie, like a cottage pie, and then feasted on it with English condiments such as HP sauce and mustard. And and uh, it was the most English day of all possible days. There was nothing. There was nothing for Australia to get any kind of pleasure from at all. Uh, their best batsman laboured over a, what looked an important, but in the end was pointlessly futile. Eighty-six, uh, and they then, got nutmegged. And they got nutmegged in rather humiliating fashion as the ball 
I think may have slightly clipped his groin on the way through to the stumps, possibly slowing him down by the fraction of an inch that was required to see him humiliatingly depart the scene. Um, the most exciting new prospect of this tournament, Alex Carey, got smashed in the face and was bleeding all over the pitch. I mean, it was, that was sort of reminiscent of Ponting and Harmison, wasn't it? A little mm. bit of 2005. Uh, and it was so unexpected, really. I mean, I, d- I don't know whether it was the toss. I don't know what Jonathan thinks. I don't know whether the pitch might have had just a little bit more bite in it and it was a good toss to lose because the received wisdom was that you're going to bat first at this stage of the tournament. I would have batted as well. But actually, England's bowlers looked like they got a little bit more response on the pitch at that time of day than Australia did later on. It's, it's weird to think that kind of yesterday morning, as, as an England fan, like all England fans, I felt really nervous about it. Mm. especially when Australia won the toss and batted as, as it turned out it, it feels like it was one of the better wickets in the tournament to chase on uh, because there was a lot of movement out there at about, about 10.30 and there wasn't so much at, at 2.30 and, and yeah, I think I think Dan makes quite a good point It's it felt a really English day and uh, in the column that I'm about to file and, and almost certainly almost finished <laughs> uh, for the Wisdom Cricket Monthly uh, I, I was talking I'm going to talk about how it's it's felt like a very global... It's not felt like an English tournament. They've tried sort of little sort of accoutrements at the ground, but whether you're watching on telly or you're in the ground, it's, it's felt like a global tournament, especially the, the multicultural nature of, of a lot of the crowds. Yesterday felt like the first proper English day, and it, it, it felt like England's tournament for the first time. I don't know whether that's a, that's a portent or, or a positive omen, or, but, you know, with the songs in the, in the crowd, the, kind of the football-style chanting, yeah, it felt like an English World Cup in, in a way that hadn't really. When you were watching on the sofa with your new baby as England lost a couple of games in succession were you did you feel like this was heading towards a calamitous end or did you have faith that England would pull it back because it's not just that victory yesterday if you see this as part of a part of a trio with the win against any the part of New Ze- the win against New Zealand and then uh, against Australia three extraordinary performances to pull out under pressure in the way that they have yeah I mean one of the things about covering lots of different sports is you you get acquainted with lots of different flavors of English World Cup disaster and uh, you know whether it's football or rugby union or rugby league or uh, or even the, the World Cup of darts which uh, in which England once got knocked out in the second round by Spain. This is this oh my word, Phil I Taylor. Didn't know that. If there's one sport you expect England to win a World Cup in, it's Phil Taylor and, and James Wade, world's number one and two, uh, and they lost to a pair of Spanish amateurs. One of whom was was nicknamed El Dartador. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually not bad. He's uh, he's become a pro since. He's, he's pretty good. But you 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 get used to England screwing these, up and you kind of recognise you, you recognise the the signs. You kind of read the runes. And had this been a regular World Cup tournament, six or seven game pool stage, that's how it would have ended. But in fact, the elongated nature of the group stage allowed them to have a big dip and then build up their momentum again. And so here we are. And uh, you wrote um, that only in the Cricket World Cup could a could a player tear his hamstring and recover and come back to play a lead role in the tournament. And that's obviously Jason Roy has done that and uh, was just incredible yesterday, wasn't he? Because yeah. he started in quite a measured way. We were saying this before the start. 50 for none after 10 overs is actually quite slow by England standards. Uh, and then having settled himself in, just launched himself at the spinners, didn't he? They're never 50 for none. They're, they're either you know, 35 for four or they're... 75 for none so it was almost like they found plan c and uh, they bypassed plan b which was completely useless and went straight for plan c which is what everybody's been after and it was it was really measured it was really clever batting that first 10 overs when you've got a target of 224 especially with you know these white kookaburra balls and against stark and cummins and berendorf that's the threat 
you know, Stoinis and Lyon were unlikely to be the threat. So they recognised that threat and at the same time put away what were a few bad balls. I mean, they, they drove, as they always do, gloriously through the covers. I mean, to thread the half volleys through the covers. That was all fine. But it was the fact that they didn't go ballistic. They didn't lose their shape. They didn't lose their mm. sense of, of proportion of what was required. And then once they got to 50 for none, it, all the tension sort of fell out of the game, didn't it? And that was, I think, what was the most... We talk about it being an English day and, that, and it was in all those sorts of ways and you know the World Cup for me has been about Pakistan and Bangladesh and Indian fans and who have made the games raucous and different and have a different noise to them but what was really un-English about yesterday was it, they won a semi-final at a canter with 107 balls to spare there was no drama there was no oh my words you know edge of your seat stuff it wasn't just that they won it it was that it was the game that every England fan feels that they deserve that they probably don't really want deep down they like the drama they like the plucky losing there's something the, a bit unsettling about, well, it, was about a, it, it was unsettling you know at halfway I'll tell you now that in the commentary boxes uh, people like Michael Vaughan everybody really was saying 250 will be really hard and when they kept them to 223 as well that's England are on top but mm. that first 10 overs could be crucial and, and it just maybe the first 10 overs were crucial and England just batted really well but it didn't it felt like they could have chased 300 yeah it, it was too perfect I, I don't want to be kind of down a McGee here but there were kind of shades of 2004 Champions Trophy semi-final and the the suspicion is that they're going to get Ian Bradshaw big time on Sunday so who's who's the Ian Bradshaw that's what kind of a, a Matt Henry coming in at number nine for New Zealand Mitchell yeah Santner, maybe yeah so it, it's all it's really yeah. all set up for Satner to win it with 43 off 70 balls <laughs> yeah so well I, I don't think New Zealand will be pushed over in the way that Australia were New Zealand have come out on top in f- what four really close games which they easily could have lost they've won uh, they're pretty dogged outfit uh, and Kane Williamson is going to take some some shifting even if the openers might not well, that's true and Lords is different as well I don't know if Lords suits England's bowlers as well as Edgebaston does I think there's a little bit there that, that could be tricky I'm not sure now I'd be rather confused after what happened to Edgebaston if they win the toss they're going to bat, they're going to bowl. I mean, what, what do you do? At Lords, it's always this look up, not down yeah. um, business. I don't think anybody knows. I think it would probably be preferable for Owen Morgan if he lost the toss again. And let New Zealand take it out of his hands, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to look at a couple of the matchups, the big matchups. One, obviously, the, the, I suppose the big comparison is Root v. Williamson, the two number threes, the two Premier Batsmen in each team, who. I, yeah, so Williamson scored 548 runs in this tournament. Root scored 549. They've gone about in very different ways because of the team they've they've got around them. And so the last time Root, the last four times Root has walked out to bat after the Roy Bairstow partnership has been broken, the scores read 128, 160, 123, and 124. Last four times Williamson's walked out to bat, the scores read 5, 29, 2, and 1. I mean, he might as well be opening the batting. In, he is. In this I, mean, side. I don't think he's come in after the tenth over all tournament. I, do, I, 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 was, I was looking it up for a piece. On, on Tuesday, I think I think what I happened in the Sri Lanka game. They had a decent opening partnership in that, but maybe that was. I, I don't think he didn't come in, did he? Oh no, they won by ten wickets. They won by ten wickets, of course. Yeah. Uh, and three times he's had to come in in the first over, and against India, I think it was a third over. He, he is essentially their opener, and and I think his strike rate for the tournament is something like seventy-seven, which is kind of very Michael Bevan nineteen ninety-nine World Jonathan Cup Trott style. Yeah, it's Jonathan. Three, Trott. Yeah. Um, and that that's the role that that he's been he's you know been forced to play. Whether the rest of his teammates have it in him to, to actually give him a proper platform for once you might actually get to see you know some of the the free-flowing Kane Williams that we see in, in the IPL but it's interesting that he's 
you know, we've not really seen everything that he can do, and yet he has been by far and away their key player. And part of that is because Martin Guptill just hasn't come off at all, hasn't scored no, a half well. century since the start of the tournament. McCullum said he, he's the one that really sets the tone. He, he decides what totals New Zealand can get, and then Williamson has to adapt to how, to how he goes. But the way Archer and Wokes bowl with a new ball at Edgebaston, Guptill's not going to have it any easier than he's had. Well, he's going to have it harder than any other stage in the tournament, possibly. No, but, you know, the thing about form and all that is Guptill's a very good player. We've seen Guptill score loads of runs. He's scored loads of runs against him. He has that run out going round and round his head as well to to get Dhoni and effectively win that game for them. Yes, you you just don't know, do you? We speculated so much throughout this World Cup, and I, for one, have been wrong about almost everything. I was wrong about the likelihood of the pitches yielding loads of runs. I was wrong about uh, the West Indies, who I thought would push for a place in the semi-final. I've got the other three right, but I didn't have, weirdly, I didn't have Australia in my semi-final lineup. So I, quite a few people I was, didn't. Oh, well, right. But I was wrong about Australia. I was wrong about the West Indies. Wrong about pitches. I've been wrong about what you should do if you win the toss. It's just the one. So who's going to win on uh, who's going to win on Sunday? I, I think there's still time for India to come rocking back. Um, <laughs> you They'll know, find a way, change. won't they? They will find a way. Like the DRS will will, will kind of. You know, we'll, we'll play up or there'll be some kind of administrative uh, glitch and, and you know, wrong team's like, been invited to the final <laughs> well Coley was pushing for an IPL style thing where the, the person who t- the team who topped the group got two stages I like two that attempts though to, yeah I mean, I know a bit people, late in the I day know, to be I suggesting know, it I, think I, it know, I know convenient. people are saying it's sour grapes and that but Actually, the question was put to him as well. Actually. Yeah, it didn't come out. Of it. And, yeah. It's, and I quite like it because if you have this attenuated process for deciding who's going to be in the top four, you might as well at least make sure that the teams who are fourth, third, second, and first are fighting for a reason to be first and second. You yeah. know, not just that you're going to play the fourth best team. I like that as a, as a method, but I, I just think this whole tournament has been surprisingly unpredictable. I think we thought that Sri Lanka were abysmal, and, and they probably were, but they came surprisingly close to qualifying. I think we thought that Pakistan were hopeless after a couple of weeks, and actually once they realised what their best side was, they then went on a winning streak, won the last four. We thought New Zealand were really good, and then they went on a massive losing we streak. Very good. We thought England were hopeless, and then there was no way that they could beat three of the teams above them, and then they have done that with with some ease in actual fact Mm. so I don't know obviously on podcasts like this we're expected to make predictions but I'm extremely wary of doing it now because I've just been proved an idiot what's the advantage of doing a daily one though you can just move on to the next (laughs) one and and forget what you said Um, if New Zealand data turn over England on on Sunday how are they going to do it what's what's the is it just the blueprint that they had against India that you basically if they bat first they don't necessarily aim for a particularly massive total and then just hope that their bowlers can restrict England yeah I mean I, I can't really look past the the new ball as, as, yeah. as what's going to do it to them um, I mean you talk about matchups I think Lockie Ferguson against Owen Morgan's yeah. a huge one because Morgan's short ball I mean, it, it, whether it's a thing or it's not a thing, you know, people are making it a thing now. Uh, and, you know, he's going to get a barrage. And if if England kind of, if England bat first and it's 10.30 and sort of Bolt is, you know, Bolt and Henry are kind of charging in and, and they get, you know, 10 for, 10 for one, 10 for two, it's suddenly, it's it's anybody's game. That's, yeah. And what we've seen in, in certainly a lot of the, the recent games, that the first five, six overs are, are proving so decisive. And, like the same in the 2015 final, actually, with McCullum getting bowled by, cleaned up by Stark. Those those early uh, skirmishes can set the tone in um, in, in a game that that big. Yeah. And so I mean, you you can sort of lose a game, can't you? At five for three, I mean, that's sort of when India lost a game and they lost Sharma and Kohli early. And Australia yesterday, in retrospect, you know, 14 for three, wasn't it? That that meant that they had to bat in a certain way. Um, and England had really won that game despite the nervousness and agitation that goes with England being in the semi final, but. You can also win a game the other way, which is the way England have done it, when 
with their batting, which is to be 120 for none. It'll be fascinating to see how Roy and Bairstow go at mm. but where they are prepared to sit in because they're both in such fantastic form. It must be tempting just to just to keep going. Yeah, but I think the other part of it is look, they know that New Zealand have got not quite the support bowling of other sides. So they know that there are pickings to be had. If you see off bowl, bowls quite a lot of a long spell first up often bowl six overs first up yeah so that makes it a little bit more awkward because they don't want to lose those power play overs to bolt but if he's not making inroads then that is a huge headache for williamson because Santner's not a great turner of the ball and england's batting against spin has been absurdly good i mean they destroyed the indian spinners yeah. at edgebaston uh, i know steve smith's not the perfect example but lion and smith yesterday when lion came on his first ball yeah. roy hits him for six there's no looking at him. Uh, he's hit Steve Smith for three sixes in a row. And the first one was nearly caught at long on. It didn't stop him. So there's a fearlessness about the way they, they'll play Santner as well. And then Jimmy Neesham. You know, so the batsmen have actually got more of an incentive to dig in in a curious kind of way against Bolt because they know what's to come. I think Ferguson is key in, in that, as, as you say, that, that Morgan matchup. Also, when England beat New Zealand in the group stage game, Ferguson wasn't fit for that game. Southie played his first game in the tournament and was nowhere near his best. I mean, yeah, just looked very, very hittable. And New Zealand looked flat in those mid-overs, but that's what Ferguson's given them all for this tournament, that when Bolt's generally taking wickets at the top, Henry as well, Ferguson comes in with that kind of blast in the mid-overs and, and generally has picked up wickets. Yeah, I mean, I think we will find out what Morgan and and this team are made of if if he wins the toss. Because you, you can... You can lose a game. You can lose a final in the first 10 overs. If you're, tw- if you're 20 for four, that's it. Forget it. Yeah. But equally, you win the toss, you bat, you score 330, you, you win. And if, if that's what they, if, if that's what Morgan does, if he, win, if he wins the toss, bat first, the, the safe option is to put them in, see what a good total is, yeah. and then try and chase it. If he, if, he, if he wins the toss and says, all right, go out, get 350 and, and win the World Cup, we'll, we'll kind of know that you know, they, they, their fearless attitude is... is, is something that they're prepared to carry through into a World Cup final that's that's really the test of it isn't it it is and and it would be consistent to to say we're going to put the runs on the board with what England done for the last four years and, and Morgan does does stick to his guns generally I mean it, it, it a lot of it's not just hot air with Morgan it's it's thought through I also think that there's it's easier to be fearless weirdly in a final than a semi-final because I think for the England players this is about the full fulfilling your potential was to be at Lords, was to go through the whole journey um, there are other bits that go with that like free to air television it being on channel 4 and all that sort of stuff once you're at that final then I think it's easier to convince yourself to go for it the fear is going to come in in a semi-final and I think they got a bit fortunate that Australia won the toss they got those wickets and that meant that they didn't really have a chance to be tested their, their fear to be mm. tested now they're there I think they'll say to themselves well look how we chase that down you know we did that through aggressive batting after the first 10 overs um, we got there before against India by really going for it at Edgebaston and taking out their their spinners I would be surprised if they don't come out and, and go hell for leather on Sunday I was interestingly I was talking to Steve Waugh earlier earlier this week massive name drop there um, <laughs> but he, he was talking about the 99 experience because obviously they came through an incredibly draining semi-final uh, against South Africa at Edgebaston and he was saying that rather than it kind of mentally tiring them out they felt so much relief at winning that semi-final and South Africa I think had beaten Pakistan sort of 11 times out of 13 previously they think right well we've, we're actually through the tough part now getting getting here was a tough part and now all you've got to do is just play play your natural game and it took a lot of the pressure off coming through the semi-final and they could they could go into that final against Pakistan with a kind of 
abandon a professionalism you know that that had been lacking i think in in the sort of the slightly sketchy progress to the mm. final i said at the start of this tournament slightly tongue-in-cheek that the worst thing that could possibly happen is that england arrive at the final having not lost a game or, or tournament uh, and actually now i feel reassured by those those blips against sri lanka and australia and obviously pakistan yeah. earlier that it feels it feels i mean this could all be people to be absolutely wrong but it feels like they've kind of got that out of their system yeah well there have been different losses which has been really helpful as well they're not lost in the same way each time they lost to pakistan really through poor field I mean, they let Pakistan get just 20, 30 runs too many. And even then, when they were chasing it, they probably should have won. They lost wickets when they were closing in on the chase. So they were they would have come out of that game not feeling too bad. So they said, you know, if you, we catch our catches, if we, you know, actually feel the way we can field, then no side's getting that score. Then against Sri Lanka, they lost through timorousness, through not approaching that target with anything like the verve and gusto that they have for the last four years and for the other parts of this tournament. So they're able to say to themselves, well, that was a bad idea. Yeah. So you've got a different lesson to learn. And then against Australia, well, sometimes there's not a lot you can do. If someone fires in in swinging Yorkers like Stark did at Stokes, um, you know, the short ball that got rid of Morgan, he wasn't scared of it. He just just too big at him and went too fast. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you give credit to your opponent and you also say to yourselves, well, we didn't, when we had the new ball, we didn't bowl full enough, so we didn't make the best use of the conditions that we had. So, you, do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's different learning points, yeah. and they've got a muscle memory of what does work. So I think they'll have a great deal of clarity of mind. I just note that all of this time we're talking is as if it's it would be a good thing if England win the World Cup, and I sort of understand why from our listeners' point of view. But I also think that for a lot of the country now having got to this final being typically English it's not really about winning anymore now they've, they've got the final and they're up against New oh, Zealand it is now some if people England are just suddenly New realising there's a cricket world cup going on though. if you lose to New Zealand though that that is not humiliation and sport is really about the avoidance of humiliation in my experience you know if you support a football team and your huge rivals or let's say you know you're Sheffield Wednesday you don't feel too dreadful if you lose a, a cup final to Walsall you feel absolutely devastated if you lose to Sheffield United and you can't bear it and Similarly, if England were playing against Australia in the final and lost, that would be yeah. unbearably painful. But sort of losing to New Zealand. That's I mean, why they could lose. That is why they could lose. Yeah. But also it's why I, I don't think English fans would, would go, oh no, we've blown our chance and then be racked by it forever. English fans perhaps not, but we do want these these new fans who we're apparently getting and a few that, might tune yeah. into Channel 4. They're not going to remember England losing to New Zealand. They might remember England winning a World Cup final. They're, they're, yeah, that's if we honestly think that one game, what do you think? One game of free-to-air television is going to transform the landscape of uh, cricket believe, watchers? Let us believe, Dan. Let us believe. I don't even know what, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I've, what I saw anything on More 4. Have you seen More 4? Like that, that's where they're switching yeah. to More 4 when the, the, the Grand Prix, on, the Grand yeah. Prix starts. Are people going to switch with them? I, most people just Sort of, most people just kind of go and make a cup of tea and forget about it, right? I guess it depends. I what time is that happening? I guess it depends a bit about, on the match about situation. About one o'clock. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> there, there's an argument that, so, sorry, I mean, what one, one part, there's an argument that on a global perspective, the best thing that could happen is, is for New Zealand to win this. Because if, if England win, it will be, I think, one, two, three, like six, seven tournaments in a row that have gone to one of the big three. And for, for New Zealand, who are... Uh, of the kind of the, the ten full members of the ICC, the smallest by population, to to not just reach two consecutive cup, you know World Cup finals, but to actually win one, would be an incredible shot in the arm. It would be an incredible yeah. two fingers to to the big three, and it would in many ways be the the best story of all. Oh well, yeah, I mean, there's no way you're going to tell me that the the entirety of the world, with the exception of England cricket fans, wants New Zealand to win. I mean, that is definitely the case. That's not what England are for, is it? 
No, no, it's, it's certainly not. It's not for being the neutral's favourite. Well, one man who definitely wants New Zealand to win is uh, Andrew Alderson, Kiwi reporter, who I caught up with earlier for his thoughts ahead of the final. OK, Andrew, so we didn't get a chance to catch up after the uh, semi-final win over India, so let's just quickly take you back to that. Um, what an incredible match. When you came back on that second day, could you foresee what was going to happen there? Look, I, I think there was faith to a degree, but not to that degree. I mean, you just would not expect uh, New Zealand to have India. Look at that Indian batting lineup: uh, you know, KL Rahul, Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli, and all back in the dressing room, five for three. It was just, uh, well, a dream come true for New Zealand cricket fans, Joe, to be fair. I mean, I think that, uh, and then it was, what, four for 24 shortly afterwards. You had that Jimmy Neesham one-handed catch, which probably hasn't got the kudos it deserves because it was yeah. been uh, overshadowed by the later Guptal run out at, uh, and, and even, even the steepler that Williamson was under to catch uh, the inform Ravindra Jadeja uh, and they were all just such key moments and putting together what I would say was the best New Zealand performance of the tournament I saw a nice thing on Twitter which I think I don't know where it appeared in the New Zealand Herald but it was a, a yes we cane doesn't really work so much when it's a spoken word but you know the Barack Obama thing in, in the New Zealand Herald with the picture of Williamson um, well, that, was our, that was our esteemed publication Joe so I we, thought, we were rather proud of that I thought that was the case Andrew it's perfect it's to, it kind of summed up all very very nicely indeed um, I just wondered what, what was the reaction being back like home how, how was the the whole thing being received oh look it's, it's frenetic back home joe uh, just hearing from various sources i'm you know, talking to you know, various elements of the media also family and friends it's uh, starting to you know pick up enormous momentum um, from what we've uh, been hearing and i just think that uh yeah it was a similar sort of scenario to, to 2015 with uh with what happened uh, with you know, brendan mccullum leading the side uh, in the manner that he did that uh, robust demeanour that he had but this is very much I think in probably Kane Williamson's image they've yeah. gone about it quietly they've, they've had a very me- measured and um, you know just uh, an approach that's almost gone under the radar in many respects uh, but this time but as sure as uh, it, it's, it's heated up at home that's for sure and, and just getting some of the, the numbers back from work it's, it's certainly uh, people watching listening and, and reading about it uh, as much as they can obviously the time difference is a bit tricky over there um, the final will be what in the early hours of Sunday night, Monday morning. So people have work to go to the next day. How how do you think people are going to be uh, taking that final in? Do you think there'll be people taking days off work on Monday? Is is there kind of allowances in the New Zealand culture for sporting events like this? Well, it's funny you should mention it. There's been quite a big trend actually already, and there's been a few stories on it of uh, employers basically saying, "Look, don't worry about coming to work too early uh, on the Monday. Brilliant. Just to make, make sure that you uh, you enjoy it and uh, just soak it all up." And I think it's a great attitude, really. It's the it's a bit of a one-off occasion, and, and there's plenty of cricket fans in New Zealand, and there's plenty of uh, sports fans in general who tune in for the cricket, who perhaps don't watch it all the time, but like to to dip in and out. And on this occasion, they'll be dipping in, but they'll probably need some cheese on toast. They'll probably need to boil the kettle uh, and make sure, or you know, at least like, get some coffee in them and make sure that you know, they get the duvet. Bring like, maybe do bring the duvet out to the lounge and. And tune in. With the All Blacks obviously dominate the sporting landscape in, in New Zealand and, and rugby is the number one sport. But when the cricket team does something like this, does a World Cup final in cricket, can it compare to a Rugby World Cup final? Has it engaged the, the country in the same manner? Oh, I would argue almost more so, Joe, on really? this occasion. Because it's a rarity. It's yeah. the rarity. You know, cricket is the summer game. Rugby's the winter game in New Zealand. Rugby's the number one game by some distance. But it's the I think it's the disparity. In that you, that, and it's not so much in recent years because New Zealand's performed pretty consistently on the cricket stage uh, through the Heston McCallum era and now into the Stead Williamson era but I still think that there's an expectation with rugby that it will happen regardless whereas this is almost seen as a a, a, a real bonus or a, a reward in, in, in many ways for sports fans that, they, that they've managed to to get into this final and to do it uh, back-to-back World Cups is uh, 
is pretty uh, is pretty extraordinary. So I think there's there's certainly um, you know being reflected on in 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 in, in, in great spirit. Uh, one of the no- lovely things about World Cups is it can kind of catapult sort of everyman cricketers or unknown cricketers to another level of sort of of stardom. Are, are people like Jimmy Neesham and Lockie Ferguson are they now getting? coverage across the press in a way that they never would have done before. Look, I think that's true too, and that, uh, that they, because I think each of these players pretty much performed in some capacity to get them to this point. And they've you know established themselves in the team. They perhaps, even before the start of the tournament, weren't that established if they, if they hadn't come into some form. But, but those are great examples of players who've pulled their weight and, and, and probably got the team to where they have. And I think it's the case too that you know there's, there's a wiliness, there's a tenacity within that New Zealand team, and I think it's built through the, the camaraderie and they're just a good uh, overall team, if you like. Albeit there are a few stars there in the form of you know, obviously Kane Williamson, Ross Taylor, and you know, Trent Bolt, but but others have come around to support them. And I think probably you know, for Sunday's final, if Martin Guptill could get up, we've seen that outstanding run out he was able to produce uh, in the semi-final. But if he was able to get up and, and score some runs, that would be a wonderful uh, way to, to to cap off the tournament for New Zealand. Um, I mentioned this on the podcast after the uh, New Zealand-India game that it struck me the reaction of the players after that victory. There was obviously a celebration, but it was relatively muted, particularly from Williamson and Taylor who were in the final last time. It, it really kind of, it, it struck me that this was, for them, it's a job half done. Obviously, they've beaten one of the tournament favourites, but that doesn't necessarily mean all that much unless you go on and, and win the thing. Is, have you got that kind of impression from being in and around the group? I have. I think that there's very much a, uh, a feeling of unfinished business, given what happened in Melbourne. I think it was the manner in which it happened too. They were almost shell-shocked with that McCullum, the Yorker that Stark delivered to McCullum in the first over, hit the off stump, and that pretty much took a lot of the momentum out of the campaign. It was hoped, of course, that you know, McCullum would, would go on and play one of those cameos at the top, and, and that would give New Zealand the momentum after going into bat. But uh, I think that this time there's perhaps more realism about it and, and, and pragmatism. They know they have to do a lot of hard yakka first because last time, of course, they were going through the tournament. They were on a roll, uh, an unbeaten roll. Uh, this time it's been a bit more even flow, but uh, they've, they've got to the right place at the right time. And I think that you know, the extraordinary thing would be, too, having lost those three games in a row, to be able to turn around and produce the performance they did against India, uh, that, that bodes well. But having said that, England as well. I mean, they, they've done superbly well, especially with that, uh, that effort just the juggernaut pretty much rolling over Australia yesterday. Yeah, that was a pretty awesome performance from England when, when they needed it. Um, look, if, England, if New Zealand are to beat England in this match, how do you think they're going to do it? What's the, what's the blueprint? Is it going to be something similar to, to India, not to try and go for that big, big total, and, but just try and restrict the opposition? Oh, I think so. I think they would just do exactly the same thing. If, if they were to win the toss... I suspect I can't imagine it that the the pitch at Lords would be too would be too much of a minefield. I think the idea would be to bat, uh, get some runs on the board, and put pressure on again. And I think with what we saw from the bowling attack and the fielding effort uh, from that uh, match at Manchester at Old Trafford, uh, they're definitely capable of doing it. And just finally, you're you're at Lords right now, watching New Zealand train for the. <laughs> For the big day, uh, I was around the team at the start of the tournament and they seemed just incredibly relaxed. Is that still the case now with this big match ahead of them? Very much so, Joe. And I think one of the key things there and one of the themes across the, the tournament has been this uh, this football volleyball that they play and it seems to almost occupy them. I mean, they'd almost be an Olympic team at by now, the way they, uh, they're they they're so dedicated to the cause. And it seems to be a really good source of, of camaraderie at the start of practice. There's obviously some rivalry going on there between the batsmen and the and the bowlers, and I think it sort of divvy 
speed up and remaining along those lines. And I think it's fairly even. But that's been, uh, I think it's just a good way to switch their minds off from the, from the game uh, as a whole um, various times. But the, now it's, I think it's going to be a pretty light practice today by the looks of things. I think Williamson's already out of the nets, which is some indication he's only been in there for about half an hour or so, which is pretty light by Kane standards. Right. Um, so I think that they're probably just going to taper up and uh, and look to, to prepare. And they might go for a bit more of a training maybe tomorrow, but you wouldn't think so. It might be you know fairly low-key from here. Um, but lovely sun at Lords out on the nursery ground is there's uh, there's worse ways to earn a living. Absolutely, there are, Andrew, and it's all set for a, for a hopefully a fantastic game on Sunday. I know you've got a press conference to rush to, so thanks ever so much for joining us again. Uh, hopefully, we can catch up after a, a thrilling final on Sunday. Oh, I look forward to it, John. I mean, I think it's the, the best thing about it, from my mind, is that the cricket's going to ha- cricket World Cup's going to have a new winner. Yeah. and I think that yeah. that's that's really the key for me. That it'll be good for cricket as a whole. And uh, for either of the nations that wins it, but also for the runner-up, I mean, it'll do a, it'll be a, it'll be a big boost for the cricket community and probably the sporting community and beyond for, for people's well-being. And I think just seeing uh, people performing at this level, so I hope it's a cracking final uh, in, in whole. And, and you know, there'll be uh, there'll be that new winner, which is pretty special. I couldn't agree more, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, speak to you soon. Lovely, Joe. All right. So those are the thoughts of Andrew. Uh, now we're gonna have a kind of wider overview of the tournament so far and each pick out our, our not necessarily best player of the tournament but our favourite player of the tournament and also our favourite commentator uh, Dan is not allowed to pick himself uh, for this one is these, it, these you, are the if, rules have you been doing it Dan? I've barely yeah I would have drifted probably but you would have noticed it because you, you would have watched TV won't yeah, you yeah it's all on, 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 on you know, there's vision these days they, they do it with pictures uh, yeah. and you actually, you actually see what's happening even though you're not there it's so, so these aren't real commentators are they they're just commenters because commentators have to tell you what's really happening. Oh, is that the difference? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, Dan. Uh, who is your who's your favorite? Who which favorite players have stood out for you? This, this well, I d- I, it's unfair of me, but I want to I want to pick three, so I'll go through quite brief because I, I've chosen the good, which is Shakib Al Hassan, uh, without doubt the world's best all rounder. He's got six hundred odd runs. He's taken eleven odd wickets. He goes at five runs and over. Uh, Bangladesh is a good side, but without him, they would they would struggle. Yeah. There'd be a there'd be a much much poorer side without him but I think this Bangladesh side has sort of been put on the map in a way that previous ones haven't I think you see them coalescing behind a few big name players Tamim Mikbal Mushfika Rahim but primary among all of those is the fantastic Shakib Al-Hassan who's also hit some of the shots of the tournament his on driving is, has, has been ludicrous the bad mm. I want to go with Gulbadeen Naib and I say bad advisedly I love him I love him for You're the ambition for him again are you well, it's it. the ambition of his reach I mean here, here is a man who uh, was parachuted in to be captain at the Just last minute he's been replaced minute. I believe today he hasn't they've got, I think they've gone back to Asgar really well what a surprise it's Rashid Ra- Rashid in all formats isn't it oh, is I it? saw a tweet earlier saying this is what was going to be announced I haven't actually seen the formal well, announcement I think it's Rashid Khan okay well that was he was the captain wasn't he and he's got the whole lot now get Asgar okay. back because he did all the team talks so he's come in at the last minute presided over a fitful campaign to put it mildly there were moments of humiliation interspersed with moments of, of real potential they were on the verge of beating Pakistan and my moment of the tournament is with Pakistan needing 48 or 5 he brings himself on goes for 18 runs then brings himself off and then needing to defend 6-7 off the last over brings himself back on I mean that is a triumph of hope over experience <laughs> that I just want to take my hat off to uh, and then there's Shaheen Afridi who had he played from the beginning of the tournament I wonder if Pakistan wouldn't have sailed through to the, the semi-finals because yeah. they looked fantastic with him in at the end he can't field and he can't bat which is another thing I really like about him but he, he bowls at a nick 
extraordinarily magnificent speed um 91 mile per hour fast in swinging yorkers he's only theoretically 19 20 years old we might just might get to see a pakistan young fast bowler appear in two consecutive world cups because normally they arrive and disappear don't they rahat ali whatever happened to him yeah among many others so you ask for one i've given you three and your commentator well there can be only one joe he stands head and shoulders above the rest as he dissects the conditions, the moon, the stars and the sun in perfect coalition as he, along with Brian Waddle, has been the voice of New Zealand cricket. If you tell me which Welshman that is, it's of course... That's not a bad Jeremy Coney. It's not a bad Jeremy Coney, Joe, not bad. Yes, I absolutely love him. A man to work with, presumably. He threw away the word velocipede the other day. He was describing somebody running between the wickets and he said, a noted velocipede, and then continued talking. I mean, he described one caught behind as looking like Boris Johnson ushering a flock of geese into an abattoir. I mean, th- these are metaphors and words that are just uh, beyond beyond reproach. And he's the loveliest man to work with. He's a very intelligent, um, erudite chap, and he's got beautiful voice and beautiful use of language, and I adore him, and he should be on every broadcast of all things. Yeah, he sounds like he'd be very good on the telly. <laughs> he wouldn't waste his talents on the telly. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan, your your player and commentator. Uh, I'm going to go for an Asian player as well, actually. Uh, Bumrah, Jasper Bumrah. Uh, yeah. I think he's he's so compelling. He's so good to watch. Uh, it's been a tournament for. I mean, people talk about the low score, relatively low scores, whether it's conditions or pitches. I think we're we're actually in a golden era of, of fast bowling, and, and some of the fast bowling has been just like astonishingly good. And Bumrah, I think you know just about at the top of the pile i mean he's got he's got this kind of this quality to him where uh first of all he's, he's not just one great fast bowler he's he's three mm. so he's a brilliant new ball bowler he'll, he'll extract whatever movement there is he takes wickets with a new ball he comes back in sort of the middle overs bowls back of a length and dries up the runs and then and then he comes back in the death overs and, he, and he's, he's got this incredible array of of bounces and, and yorkers and slower balls so he's he's got everything all the attributes but what, what he also has now which maybe he didn't have two or three years ago is is the aura and and I, I I never saw Joel Garner play live in the flesh but but when people talk about Joel Garner as a one day bowler he had the, when, when he comes on to bowl as a batting side you would think let's just see him off and Bumrah and, and I can't think of many other bowlers in world cricket today who you could say this about when Bumrah comes on you go let's just see him off yeah like three off the over and no wickets is is a decent result like even when Stark comes on you think you know you think you're gonna get one to hit uh who's probably his, his closest rival in terms of an, an all-format fast bowler. And, you know, and it's, it's the weird action, and it's it's the kind of the, the, the weird hoppy run-up. He's, he's a star. He's got star quality. It feels like teams are almost now seeing him off at the death, which is which is a ridiculous place to find yourself in, because they just can't hit him. So they're, they're, as you say, they'll take four or five singles in the last five overs and instead target other bowlers instead, which is an extraordinary place to, to find yourself I in. I think your Garner analogy is perfect. It's exactly what it is. I did see Garner in the flesh, and it was a case that you just... You always looked at the number of overs he had left and go, well, two and a half. We get two and a half and over off that. It's slightly different because it's different times. But in terms of Bumrah, you're doing much the same. You double it, I suppose. If you get five and over, if you can get your bat on it and get through for singles, you don't ever in your mind's eye know how a batsman's going to hit him for boundaries, do you? You can't see the ball, but Bumrah bowls, it goes through a boundary. You only hit a boundary off Bumrah if he lets you. 
And he, I mean, he would have taken a lot more wickets in this, in this tournament if it ha wasn't for the fact that, as you say, teams are seeing him off. What is his record? So he's taken, even so, he's taken 18 at 20 and a comedy of 4.41. That's when he's bowling stupid. pretty much all his overs in the power play. And at the back end. the back end, that's pretty extraordinary. Uh, and your commentator, Jonathan? I'm going to go for Brendan McCullum. Uh, out, out of my hundreds of hours sitting on the sofa in front of the telly, he, I've, I've actually quite enjoyed the, 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 the telly coverage. And... It's not often you can you can say that. Obviously, it's the the kind of the ICC's pooled feed, and and you often yeah. get kind of a mishmash. But they really, I think, up their game this time. Uh, and McCollum, some of the kind of analysis segments that he does, which are obviously kind of a takeoff of Sky's third man, that kind of thing, have been have been really really good. And I suppose the the wider point here is is that the the evolution of the white ball game in the last few years is such that there's actually very, very few players, sorry, very few commentators who can still talk about it with, with a kind of authority. I mean, I, I love I love Michael Holding, for example, but what on earth does he know about, you know, bowling a, you know, a back-of-the-hand slow ball or, or bowling to uh, Glenn Maxwell or, or, something like, or something like that? Yeah. And McCullum, having kind of been in the international game a f a f just a, a few years ago, he's sort of got that first-hand knowledge, which is really, you know, really invaluable these days. And, and he, he conveys it well. He's got a genial manner and... And I remember one of his analyses, I think it was one of the Indian batsmen, of the, the different shots that you can play to the same ball. And, you know, pulling that kind of analysis out within a few minutes of, you know, of, of the action actually happening. Uh, I think he's, he's one to watch. He's a real star in the making. Um, my player was actually going to be Shakib, who I think if Root or Williamson score a match-winning 100 in the final, then perhaps they deserve player of the tournament. If they don't, I think Shakib should be player of the tournament. He won't be because he plays for Bangladesh and Bangladesh finished, what, eighth in the group stage. So you could argue that he doesn't deserve it but to carry to carry his team in the way that he has batting at number three scoring 600 plus runs taking taking a number of wickets as well and doing it all in a in a very very stylish manner I think he's uh I knew he was a very very good player I didn't know he was quite this good um so he, he's really kind of raised his game Lockie Ferguson was another one I was going to pick out who we've talked about already uh, and on the commentators uh, it's, we've got a Kiwi Kiwi trio uh, I was going to go for Ian Smith who I thought um his calling of the semi-final climax in the Indian New Zealand game for me I, I was really involved in that game I've mentioned every episode it seems my dad's a Kiwi so I feel like I've got two feet in the final but I thought for me that was right up there with kind of Ben O'O, Five Edge, Baston, Ian Bishop, 2016, Eden Gardens is, is obviously emotionally involved in it, but also having just enough detachment to do it in a mm. way that wasn't kind of too jingoistic or or patriotic and and actually just painted a picture in a way that to be honest it was it's a bit more like listening to radio commentary it was he it. was he was brilliant wasn't he He got that he got it absolutely spot on and simultaneously on the radio because i've dug out his and i listened to coney's as well and um both of them their voices just ever so slightly cracked yeah coney 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 nearly went did he oh yeah i haven't heard it was, it was it was beautiful but he but he didn't quite and you so you can forgive it of them don't you think i mean i definitely you could so much more forgive kiwi commentators getting deeply emotionally invested because of just the magnitude of their achievement in a way that it just wouldn't feel right would it somehow if sarav ganguly was getting <laughs> getting chopped off his shirt again on the balcony and stuff yeah, waving it around his head it wouldn't or indeed you know an english commentator it just wouldn't it just wouldn't be right really I got the distinct impression he was trying to jinx it. He was trying to reverse jinx it in the in the final overs. Ganguly. Of that, no, um, uh, Smith. Oh, Smith. I mean, Smith. Well, he called India his favourites. Yeah, fav India, India were favourites, and they needed something like 37 off, off 16 balls or something. Like, are you sure about this? But that's what happens when you've lost that many semi-finals, as, as New Zealand had. Um, I know my dad would have been saying exactly the same thing at exactly the same time as well. He captured it. He captured it beautifully. Yeah, it was great. 
Um, so, final on Sunday. Uh, you'll be there, Dan. I will, yeah. You're commentating. I'm commentating it for... Uh, I mean, you might listen to this because it's Australian radio. That's worth giving it a go. So I'm doing... It, it was wonderful. I did the semi-final in Australia, England-Australia for SEN radio. I got the opportunity to be supremely patronising at the end. You know, that's <laughs> that's a I great day to Australia, get them. Australia have come a long way. Uh, <laughs> they've done awfully well. They've probably exceeded their expectations. But Most you know, improved team award. I'm a, I, but I'd, <laughs> I'd like to think that after today that there's a few things that they'll realise that they've got to work on and learn from this England team and maybe come back in four years a bit stronger and hope that they can challenge some of the bigger teams. So exquisite. It was great fun. Uh, and I intend to do uh, something similar if uh, if England do beat New Zealand. So it's on SEN radio. I urge you to listen because it's where, where commentators are unleashed. And Jonathan, do you get a day off being a dad? Uh, hopefully, yeah. My accreditation is still pending. Right. I don't. I don't. Uh, have, have they? Have they come through yet? Some of them have. Some of them haven't. Oh Jesus! So. Well, I, I mean, when I checked this morning, my, mine was. Oh, yeah, I'd, like, you I'd like to think so. Well, they haven't just so. let you into the Oval, so hopefully that. Yeah. This isn't the start of things to come. Well, if not, I'm taking baby down the pub, and we're we're going to watch it with uh, a pint of some pork scratchings. Well, that sounds lovely too. So, uh, uh, one, one thing to remember though is that um, listen out for commentators who are going to try to tread the right, get the, the lines right, because if England do win. And they say, in England have won their first World Cup. Well, of course I haven't, because women have won it now three well, times. Well, you'd have heard me in the intro. In fact, you won't, because I recorded it before you got here. Right. But first so first World Cup in two years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> first World Cup in two years. First World Cup at Lords for two years. Um, and and making sure that, you know, you, you get this absolutely spot on. The, the men's first World Cup victory in cricket, or something like that. It's going to be... Um, Keep an eye out. If anybody and get your gets tweets in if, if they get if it wrong goes, immediately. If it goes wrong, there'll be a Twitter storm. So, yeah, we've we're all been practising. Okay, well, I'll be back on Sunday with Phil Walker uh, and whoever else we can get our hands on at Lords to look back on the World Cup final. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. Thanks, Dan, and thanks, Jonathan, for joining me. A Very pleasure. Thank appreciated. you, uh, uh, The Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast will be continuing beyond this tournament, including regular shows during the Ashes, so do subscribe on Spotify or any of the usual platforms if you haven't already. Podcast Network.